and welcome to Studying the Steps, where we take a deeper dive into the 12 steps. In each episode, an alcoholic woman in recovery helps us study individual steps as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Through her personal experience and knowledge of working the program, she gives insight on how to apply and practice the spiritual principles being studied. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at MagdalenHouse.org. Please note, the curriculum we teach through our programs at Maggie's is from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. However, we are not an Alcoholics Anonymous group, and we are not associated with AA. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, So I'm super excited to be back and hear Lisa. I'm sure those of you know, but Lisa is the executive director for the Magdalene House. But I always tell people uh, when I talk about the leadership here at Maggie's and the organization that she is a recovered alcoholic first. And I absolutely adore that and love that about her. So I am super stoked to hear what she has to say. And um, you guys, if you have any questions, please feel free to speak up. So take it away, Lisa. Hi, you guys. Thank you, sweet Stephanie. Isn't Stephanie the nicest person? (laughs) Just the sweetest. Okay. Yes. My name is Lisa and I am a recovered alcoholic and I definitely am a recovered alcoholic before I am anything else um, a mom or a wife or a person at work, it has to come. And I've learned this, and especially in this pandemic that we're all surrounded by recovery and the foundation for recovery is more important than it ever has been before. And I know that a lot of you guys are new in recovery, some aren't, but the most important thing that, um, I think my sponsor ever told me from the very, very beginning was you have to establish a foundation for recovery that will sustain you for a lifetime. And I kind of equate it to when I was, and I, so just bear with me on, this is a Lisa story. And when I was in high school, I worked out a lot. I worked out, I was on the dance team. I was all this you know stuff that we do as overachievers because we're alcoholics, but I didn't know it then, but, and I was just about really worked out a lot. My kids did too. My boys were on the wrestling team. They worked out a lot. So one of my bar tricks when I was older was I could do the splits. So whenever my friends would, I would go out and we want some attention, Lisa would get up there on the bar and do the splits. I mean, even at our employee, like Christmas parties, guess what happens? Lisa does the splits, right? My point of that is I believe that I'm still flexible at 50 is because I worked so hard when I was younger and it set that foundation for my body. I know that's just a weird analogy, but I really believe it's true that once it's like riding a bike, once I did it, I literally have that foundation I can continue to build on. I believe that the details are obviously different, but the concept is the same. The harder I work when I am early in sobriety to create a foundation to put recovery before everything else, it's going to help me later on when I'm for sure going to face certain trials and tribulations. That's what the book says that I'm going to face them. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, so I can't just pray when things are bad. I can't just 
do this program because I need a meeting. I mean, I do this program and I think that was one of the best teachings of a, of a really good sponsor early on is that you have to do this 24 seven. So that when things happen, because they will, you will set yourself up for a deeper relationship with God during the tribulation instead of being resentful at God. Now I get resentful still. I don't like God's plan right now, but it's because I don't know the answer. I think I need to know the answer to like God's plan. So it's so interesting now, and this is perfect segue into the fifth step, how I really believe, and I think that's one of the best parts of the uh, Next Step program is that you get to see recovered women um, really living in the program and showing all of us what it looks like. I learn something every day. How blessed are we to be able to get to work at Maggie's, listen to these recovered women and learn not only to get help women, but also learn from each other. So it's really a beautiful thing for you guys to stay involved, touch Maggie's every day. At least I think um, when I was early on, I came to Maggie's two months into sobriety and I never left. I think I was there almost every day. Can't do that right now, but you will for at least two, two or three years of, of my first, of my sobriety years. So I think it's really important that we talk about that, that we, we discuss that it's not about feeling good or oh, I'm going to do this when I when you know, it's really about doing it all the time. And, and, and it, it really works. <laughs> it, it really does. I, I went through a divorce at two years sober. I have been through my, my boy, uh, my youngest is an addict. He just celebrated a year, well, year and a half now. So there's stuff that we're going to have to walk through when we can't just talk the talk and knowledge of the big book. It's literally like you're going to walk through some shit. And that's why all this stuff is so important. So anyway, enough of that soapbox. But I just am really glad that you guys are all here. All right. So let's talk about the fifth step. So the interesting thing about where we have been, like steps one, two, three, and four is that steps one, two, and three, I do with a sponsor, but I really start to do them alone. This is why I'm starting to gather up the knowledge and match it with my experience. And so that's one, two, and three. Then we get to step four. My sponsor is preparing me to do this inventory, giving me the instructions out of the book, and I do the inventory alone. So this fifth step is really the first step where I'm really working one-on-one with my sponsor, And I'm starting to look at things from a different perspective. I'm starting to really see how the world, which I thought was out to get me, I have really got the ball rolling in a lot of areas. Now, this fourth step is a part, step 10 is four through nine all rolled into one, right? So this fourth step and the fifth step that we're going to do is really preparing us to live in 10, 11, and 12. I'm going to live until it's like, People ask all the time, what's relapse prevention? How am I going to prevent a relapse? It's just 10, 11, and 12. I don't have to um, try to figure out how spiritually connected I am. That's not my job. My job is not, I don't feel connected today. Well, it's 10, 11, and 12. Remember, it's not a feelings program. It's an action program. And so all of this stuff is preparing me, this four through nine, to live in 10, 11, and 12. So what does that have to do with the fifth step? So the fifth step, literally, after I prepared the inventory, my sponsor gave me uh, seven days, one week to do it. And then once I 
got pen to paper, put it all down. We sat down. Now, we sat down, I think it was in a, I was in a closet or some kind of burn closet thing. And then we went to her house too, fourth step and the fifth step. But it took about an hour and a half, two hours. I've done a lot, probably four fifth steps in my time before I got sober. One of my fourth steps was 60 pages long. I think I told you guys that. I did this workbook. It was ridiculous. It literally is like I was writing the biggest sob story, self-pity. What I tell the women I sponsor is the more words you write, the more you're justifying your actions. Because on page 65, Bill Wilson writes 19 words for Mr. Brown, who literally tried to steal his wife. I mean, you know, steal his job. So there's a lot going on there. But so it's 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 brevity because we're really looking at we're trying to find the defects that are blocking me from God through the details. So I don't need a lot of details to see these patterns of behavior. So when I sit down with my sponsor, we it was about two hours, I think, if I remember correctly. I don't remember right. But I remember that I remember sitting in front of her because it was um, it was a life changing moment for me. And I'll get into that in a minute. But I'm going to go over the mechanics of it first. So it's it's an interesting thing with this fifth step now, because I'm going to start talking to you guys about what it looks like when you go through it or when I went through it. But also I'm going to teach you guys or show you guys or talk about how I talk to the women I sponsor. So how they go out and do the fifth step. So, but I want to say the one caveat here, don't take what I have and run to your sponsor and say, well, this is what Lisa said. What your sponsor says goes. Your sponsor is the most important piece of information to this puzzle. All we're here at Next Step to do is to give you more information that maybe you might ask your sponsor about or take it and, and just pray about it. But remember that our sponsors, especially um, early in sobriety, are the most, you can go around the room and ask anybody, any of your friends and any of your friends in recovery, and you're going to get a hundred different answers. But the, my sponsor knows me the best. And so I'd really make sure that I have to say that because I would not want a woman I sponsor who's in the next step to come to me and say, well, that's not how Lisa said it was done. Oh God, that would just, then you need to get Lisa as your sponsor and I'm out. <laughs> so let's don't do that. Um, all right. So what I do when I sit down with a woman is I, I usually have to say a prayer. We say a prayer together to get God in the room because it says on page 72 for God, uh, another person for you, uh, God and another person. So I always want to make sure and praying for me is calming and it gets God in the room and it gets us centered as to what we're doing here. It's not a, it's not between this, this woman I'm sponsoring and me. It's really, th there's, there's three entities in the room that are going to be in this process. So the first thing we do is we pray always. And then I grab her fourth step. So I always do that because in my experience, um, by the time the women start to see patterns of behavior, they're going to want their fourth step back. They're going to like, oh my gosh, I don't want you to see that. I don't want you to see that. Because I started to see the patterns of behavior that were blocking me and I found it objectionable. I found it offensive. I started seeing these things and I didn't like, I didn't want to talk about it anymore. I like, okay, okay. I just want to go to God. So I take them because we're going to talk about these things. And so I usually take the fourth step and start to look at it in this virtual time. What I've started to do is I've had the women take a screenshot of their fourth step and send me the screenshot before the fifth step so that I can prepare and I can study their fourth step 
um, and start to see some patterns of behavior before we get started. I love doing that too, because it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a fun one. You know, anyway, um, it's like sponsor weirdness, but whatever. The other thing that um, before I get into reading the book is I always read page 72 and 73 and half of page 75. I don't usually read page 74 because it literally talks about how to find a sponsor back in the day when they didn't have sponsors on every corner like we do now. But I always read, sit down and read together page 72 and 73, which I'm going to break down in just a second. But the fifth step, um, I always make, like I said, make room in a quiet place for at least a two hour talk. All right. So let's get into it because people ask a lot of questions about the fifth step because there's not a lot of guts here on page 72 because really the fifth step is 72, 73, and 74, and 75. There's only four pages to it, but obviously it's one of the biggest or most, not, they're all important. It's revealing. It's like really revealing. It's, it's, it's important because it, 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 it was a turning point for me. It was one of two turning points, this fifth step and the ninth step. The ninth step men's changed my life, but the fifth step was really about me. And the ninth step was about other people. So Okay, so let's look at it. Let's, if you turn to your book on page 72, this is where I'll start. We'll talk about some stuff because we're going to refer back to some other pages for the guts of the good step. Okay. Having made our personal inventory, what should we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude and a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. Okay, so stop right there. The obstacle, discover the obstacles in our path. I always thought the obstacles in my path were alcohol and you. So what they're going to start introducing us to is the concept that perhaps the obstacles are within me. We've admitted certain defects. We've ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We've put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. And now these are about to be cast out. So that's a promise. That's one of the first promises in, in, into action, this chapter, because what they're saying is this is going to be cast out. Like I'm going to start to see these defects of character, these obstacles, and they're going to be revealed, cast out. This requires action on our part, which means when completed will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our defects. Again, not the details, the defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we've done well enough at admitting these things to ourselves. There's doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find that a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. A couple of things in that couple of sentences. Uh, this is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. Well, a step one experience will make that a lot easier. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I thought that one of the things I hated about AA early on while I was drunk in the meetings is I thought it was a cult. I thought AA was weird. Like you want to, you want me to sit down in front of a chick I just met two weeks ago and tell her my life story. Well, that's weird. But I tell you what got me open-minded to doing that was vodka. Vodka got me open-minded to do whatever it took. I'll sit down in front of, you know, King Kong. I don't care. I just, I didn't judge it anymore. I quit judging. Solitary self-appraisal. I had a stack of self-help books that were about four feet tall. 
I really thought I could fix this. I'm so used to fixing things that a solitary self-appraisal is insufficient, especially at this stage. But I tell you what, at any stage today, like I've got it, I'm, I'm talking to my sponsor this morning because I have been doing a solitary self-appraisal. It never stops. It's not that the solitary self-appraisal ever really stops. It's that today I can spot it. I can say, oh, here I go again in the self-will thinking that I know the answer. So what do I do? I pray about it. I do whatever page 84 says. So it's not that I'm not going to do all these things. It's just that now I have God consciousness. I become more aware of the things that are blocking me like this. And I have a toolkit. All right. We'll be reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person. We see good reasons to do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, life giving, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to ourselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. And it's so funny because I have in my book here that that's okay. If that's what it takes for me to get squarely centered on putting my priorities first, and I have to get drunk to do that, then that's okay. I just hope that I live through it. I don't hurt anybody in the process. But I hate when people go, oh, relapse. That's a shaming thing. That's a shaming tool. That's what we do. We drink. We drink. Like Cindy told me this one time. Who I, I love this. I shouldn't be surprised when anyone drinks. What I should be surprised about is that we all stay sober. Because that, it's easier to drink. It's hard as hell to put feelings aside and take the action. All right. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think this reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory, all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they never, they not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in, in the sense that we find it necessary until they told someone all of their life story. I love it when it says they only thought they had lost their egoism. They only thought they had humbled themselves. That's me using my mind, right? Me, my, the very thing that's trying to kill me. And I'm reasoning through why I shouldn't do a 10 step or why I um, shouldn't tell my sponsor or this woman I'm sitting in front of everything about my life. Like I'm going to lie. That's not going to be successful in steps 10, 11, and 12. If I'm starting here and this foundation is weak, right? Certain. The book tells me I'm going to fail later on. I've got to be able to get honest. And if I can't get honest with my sponsor in the fifth step, change sponsors. <laughs> it's usually not a sponsor problem. It's usually a step one problem, but I've got to feel comfortable with this woman. I'm going to tell her all my life story, right? And it's not a three hour. It's all the details, the things that I keep in the closet that I would never tell another human being. And I certainly had one of those for sure. All right. And then the next two paragraphs are awesome. It talks about the actor, lack of humility, complete deflation. Remember Bill Wilson talked about the bottom, that the bottom for alcoholics, alcohol, especially, well, it doesn't matter, men or women, is complete deflation of the ego. Like there's no bottom. My bottom is dying. <laughs> I, it, it can always get worse until I'm dead, right? 
but my ego has to be completely deflated before I'm going to be open-minded to hear some of these things. That's what Bill Wilson, he talks about it in the family afterward. And I think it's in the first or second paragraph that this is a complete deflation of the ego. And so this fifth step is one of the tools in which that is hopefully God will help make that happen. So these two next paragraphs, I usually, um, not usually, I always do. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. She is very much the actor. So I always insert, take the word he out and put she. It makes it just more relevant and more current because some of this book, it's all about guys. And so I always put that in there. But I love these two paragraphs and I'm not going to go through it because we don't need to, but because it literally points to the fact that we're all the same. People think, or alcoholic women, at least I did, I thought I was the only person who drank in my closet. I literally did when I went to my first AA meeting and I heard that. All right, so these two paragraphs are are awesome because it helps me to walk shoulder to shoulder with the woman that I'm sitting in front of because we're the same. Our details might be different on the way that we drank, but the shame, the demoralization, the guilt, all of the things that we feel are the same. The details might be different, but these two paragraphs start to point out some of the things that we do that we have in common. And I can start to build the trust, you know, building this trust with this woman. Otherwise, I'm just some blonde chick trying to sell her on some steps, right? So this is some, one of the first things that I can relate to with her sitting in front of me. At the bottom of the page of 73 is one of my favorite lines of the book. And I know it's kind of obscure and kind of hidden in there. But for me, in my, I know this is therapy stuff right now, but family of origin, it was really hard for me to be honest with another woman. I didn't have a great relationship with my mom and I didn't trust other women. I didn't for sure. And Trusting someone with my life story only became available to me, that option, when alcohol, when I drank enough that I almost died, and then it helped. But this line, we must be entirely honest with someone if we expect to live long or happily in this world. It doesn't say if we expect to be sober. It says, that hit me like a ton of rocks, you guys, that I've got to be entirely honest with one person. If I want to live long or happily, I don't know why I just never thought of it from that perspective, but it's true. Like I have to be completely honest with Cindy, eat my ego, eat my humility and pride. And yesterday, even just, I've been talking, Tim stepping a lot lately, but I told her, I said, I don't know. And it's killing me. It's wrecking me. And part of it had to do with Maggie's not part of it. A lot of it has to do because I, we are in this waters of COVID and it's so hard to make decisions on to close or say open or exposure, all this stuff. And it feels heavy. And I get to be vulnerable with her and say, I don't know. And I want to know. And so I've got to get honest with her and tell her I feel incapable of being a leader or whatever those deep, dark secrets are, I have to be able to be honest with her and tell her those things and not worry because she's not going to judge. It's actually probably going to help her 
more than it's helping me. And I have to remember that in my own experience. So I love that line. It helps me on a daily basis. All right, on page 75, uh, at the top of the page says, when we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have a written inventory and we're prepared for a long talk. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and what, why we have to do it. We realize that we are engaged in a life and death errand. And how prophetic is that? That I am engaged in life and death errand as a woman who's sitting in front and about to do a fifth step, but my sponsor is also engaged in a life and death errand. Because me as a sponsor, I have to do this fifth step in order for me to live, not just stay sober, but to be reborn, to, to walk this journey with God, to bear witness, I'm going to be hearing a lot of fit steps. So we're both involved in a life and death errand. Most people approach in this way will be glad to help and they will be honored by our confidence. Again, I just always like to mention at this point, this is about singleness of purpose. This is about alcoholism. And I'm going to, I have other stuff in my fit step, but I really am just going to focus on alcoholism because I'm going to focus on the defects of, of character that are illuminated in that moment when I become Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. All right. And so we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character and every dark cranny of the past. So what I do at that point is I close my book. I close my book and we start talking. Now, from my perspective, for me as a sponsor, what I do for women, there's always an ex, a sister, and a mother. And I don't know why those three elements will bring out more character defects than any of the other things, institutions, people on the fifth step. I always focus on resentment, fear, dishonesty, and selfishness. Those are the four horsemen. There's pride, judgment. But the one thing I think I told you guys this last week or two weeks ago is that all fifth steps look alike. All of them. If they don't, I'm focusing too much on column one and column two. That's what makes us unique. What makes us the same, right? The character defects are found in column three and column four. I've got to focus on column three. What did it affect? And what were my mistakes in column four? If I'm focused too much on column one and column two, we're going to get into the details, right? And not the defects. Column one and column two are only there details to point out the defects. So that's why I don't need to spend too much time on all the other people on a resentment list, because if I've covered the ex, the sister or the mom, I've usually covered most of the defects that are blocking me from God. This is about identification of the defects, because at the same time I'm doing this, my sponsor is literally writing down, or at least mine does my defects on a piece of paper, the selfishness, examples of that, my dishonesty, examples of that, my fear, examples, my resentment. And one of the things too, in that exercise is that what I learned is that resentment is always usually born and out of fear. And your sponsor can get into that with you. If that's kind of a trick question, you can ask her, but I stop there. And then we talk now. Also, another thing that was really cool that I learned is that on page 62 are questions. Like I'll go back, especially when I was new and I, um, doing these fifth steps and I was talking to my sponsor about it because I talked to her like, I mean, every time I did one because I was so nervous. 
I go back to 62 and, and ask the question, like it says, so our troubles we think are basic of our own making, they rise of ourselves and alcohol is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so, right? Um, and I start to ask the questions, are you playing God? How, tell me about the selfishness of that. Do you see what your mistake was in that? Are you trying to run the show? Are you stepping on the toes of others? Are they retaliating? I literally use the words from page 62. I use the words from that resentment inventory on page 64 when it starts to talk about the searching the flaws in our inventory. I, I use the words for sure when I'm going over the fear inventory about self-reliance. It's on page 67. It talks about, am I relying on self or am I um, relying on God in all of those moments? And it literally, it's cool because the questions, because we're all on the same page, right? Common problem and the common solution. And the common solution for me is not to go out in the Thule birds out there and start asking all these questions or become an amateur therapist during a fifth step. I'm not going to fix this stuff for these women. I'm not. I'm just going to. My job is to ask them the questions out of the big book so they can start to identify their defects of character that they're going to look at in step six and ask God to remove in step seven if they're willing. My job is to help them create that list. In the sixth step, the things, the defects that are of character that are blocking them so that they can ask God to remove it in seven. That's my only job. My job is not to solve problems. It's really to get them to identify where they've been selfish, where they've been in resentment, where they've been in fear and where they have been dishonest. So I'm preparing them for the 10th step. Remember, I'm preparing them. What I'm doing is like the analogy is like a child. Like when my child's two years old, I'm going to hold on tight to him, right? I have four boys, so it's always a him. <laughs> and then when they're four, six, I'm going to start loosening it up, right? And then my job as a parent is to raise a human being adult. My job ultimately is to kick them out of the nest. That's how I know if I'm successful is they're, they're gone. The exact same thing for sponsorship. I'm going to hold on to them tight. Call me every day. Let's talk about this fifth step. Let's do. But as they are growing in their spiritual maturity, right, their spiritual journey, my job is to push them to God and not rely on me, not rely on me, push them out of the nest so that I can take another newcomer in and she's doing the same thing. Right. And so my job is not to, to have two hour 10 steps with every woman I sponsor. My job is to push them to God. And so that's exactly what this whole thing is about is so that they can start to see these defects of character to get closer to God in their spiritual journey so that they can start walking towards the light and not walking towards a human being. And because I've relied on humans for all of my reactions until now, but relying on God, I now start to respond instead of react. If you or someone you know is a woman who wants to grow in her recovery, join our three-month non-residential program. Next Step offers community, structure, and accountability to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. Every Next Step assignment and accountability group helps alcoholic women to stay sober and thrive in her recovery. We have in-person and virtual options available to help women near and far. 
please call 214-764-0793, extension 500, to complete your phone screening to see if you qualify. So the fifth step is not difficult. It's really not. If you think about, you've got an instruction manual, you've got a sponsor, obviously, and then you pray. And then once you do one or two, you'll start to see that the secret, they all start looking alike. If we're not focusing on the details and we're focusing on the defects, because as human beings, we all have the same defects. None of us are unique, common problem, common solution. And if I have that in my head, um, then I'm going to start really itching to do footsteps. I love doing footsteps now. It helps me more than it helps the women I sponsor. Almost every fifth step I do, you guys, I'm like, I gotta call Cindy. I need to step about that because I'm exactly, I'm doing the same thing she is. And it's really cool. I love them. It's a, it's a moment in time where alcoholism for me is the only disease where you literally get to see the lights come on after two weeks. I mean, look, alcohol gave me a spiritual awakening in 30 minutes. Why can't God do it in two weeks, right? And this is the one step I think you start to see the eyes clearing up. You literally start to see God personified in a person when she starts to think, oh my, I got the ball rolling. I'm the problem, not alcohol. I was talking to Melissa yesterday and she was telling me this story. And it was so cool to watch or to listen to her because she's starting to, 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 see all of this stuff open up to her a new world with new lenses and she's not afraid to say I was wrong and that's a really beautiful thing to watch and alcoholism is the only disease that I know of that stage four is the best place to be in stage four alcoholism has the best recovery rate all right so I'm done I talked a lot but I love this stuff so much and I'm so glad that you guys um, are here so I hope that you wrote down some questions because I would love to answer some questions. What do you guys think about all that information? I want to hear your thoughts. All right, I have a question. So one of the questions that I ask uh, the ladies in Next Step in accountability after they do their fist step is, did you learn some new information about yourself? Because that's one of my favorite parts. And I still, I still love it to this day that that whole part about like, I want to enjoy reputation in my heart. I know I don't deserve that doesn't go away for me. You know, it just looks different now. I still want to like look a certain way to the outside world. And so I guess my question for you would be, did you learn some new information about yourself and the fist stuff? And what role did your sponsor play in that for you? I did. I'll tell one of the things I learned is that, so one of the things that happened when I was drinking was that my husband started having an affair, right? And I was pissed and I used that Trump card to drink. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. My friends listened to me. They all felt sorry for me. And one of the things my sponsor said um, in my fifth step was, were you a great partner? Not that I'm not justifying what he did. But taking him completely out of the picture, were you, would you be someone that you would want to be in a relationship with? What were you giving to that relationship? 
And the other thing is, she said, which really pissed me off. <laughs> she said, you had a relationship, you had an affair with a bottle. Can you imagine being Dave and having an affair with it? your partner's having an affair with an inanimate object? At least it was a person for him. You had an affair with a bottle. What difference does it make? Different details, same concept. And I'd never been told, I'd never been squared away like that before. And it hurt, but it was the truth. That was the one of the things that I learned about myself, that I was living on this spiritual mountaintop and judging him, but defects are the same. It doesn't matter if he was having an affair or what, it doesn't matter. It was dishonest. I had been dishonest. I had been selfish. What difference does it make with the details? And that's one of the biggest things I learned. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? I have one. Do you find it common that some people, including yourself maybe, can be unaware of their fourth column? And how would you guide someone to see uh, clarity in that? One of the things that I really try to do, Steph, is ask questions. I try to ask a lot of questions instead of telling someone, because you'll see it. I swear you guys, you will see it. You'll see it as a sponsor taking someone through the steps. I had, I teach this class called breathing underwater, breathing underwater. It's Richard Rohr. It's an amazing book. And if you haven't read it yet, you need to read it after you finish the steps or talk to your sponsor about it, but it's called breathing underwater, Richard Rohr. And it's the 12 steps. And it, it's literally, anyway, that book changed my life. Um, so I teach it like I've, I think in nine years now, one of the th exercises that we do is we put a fourth step on the board. We, everybody gets one thing that they want to talk about from resentment to fear to um, sex inventory. But anyway, one thing, and there's usually, I never take more than 10 women in the class. So they'll put the one thing up there. Okay. So she's like, I am pissed at my mom that she's babying my kids and she won't listen to me and she blah, blah, blah. And so then we'll take everyone in the room right? There's eight of back there watching sees what her defects of character are. She literally has glasses on and she can't see it. It happens every single time I teach the class, whether it's fear, any of it. So everybody else sees it, but she doesn't. So I, we all ask her questions and I'll have the class ask her questions to get into the habit of it's in my nature to tell someone what they're doing wrong. It's not in my nature to ask questions and listen. So that's what I do, Steph. When people, when women don't see it, I start to ask questions around the behavior until they see it themselves. The desire when it comes from within is so much stronger. It's like when I was telling someone or when someone was telling me that I was an alcoholic, it pissed me off. But when I saw it for myself, I started to understand and I got excited about the solution. Same concept with the fifth step. I'm not going to tell you've been selfish. You've been like, so what do you think? What did you, how did your kids react to that? What did your mom say? How did you talk to your mom? Do you feel like you gave her a, a, a voice or, you know, were you just taking her completely out of picture? You know, all that. I asked a lot of questions if that helps. Yeah, I love that. And that's something that my sponsor has really ingrained into my head for my sponsees and next step participants, actually, uh, is to ask a lot of thought provoking questions. 
Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Do you do you find it common that as that as we work the steps longer that we become more aware of that fourth column? But do you still need your sponsor's help in seeing that sometimes? Yes. Yes, I ten step a lot. I probably t I I think I ten step more now than I did when I was younger in my recovery. And it's not because I see it or I don't see it. I just find it objectionable. But I tell you what, probably one out of five times when I call Cindy and I talk to her through this stuff, she'll see something I didn't see. She will inevitably because, you know, I'm all full of the, I knows, I know I'm resentful. I know I'm selfish. I know I've been a jerk, you know, but it doesn't matter if I see, I still need to call. I still need to go to God first always. And when women 10 step with me, I'll, first question I ask is, have you, did you pray before you called me? And if they didn't, I'm not going to talk to them. I also never want to hear, well, Dave made me feel pissed off. Dave, Dave was being, you know, mean. Uh, uh, uh. If you start talking about another person on the call, we're hanging up. Because page 84 says, continue to watch where I have been selfish, not where Dave has been selfish, right? I spot them, find them objectionable, talk to God. So, yes. There are things that Cindy will see in me, but if I'm, if I go to God, see this stuff, go to God, self-awareness, I can usually spot because it's just about selfishness, resentment, fear, and dishonesty. Right. But I talk to her because I'm showing God. Um, I don't have a plan. I'm showing God living vertically, that I'm going to take the action of humility, no matter what. So it really doesn't matter what she says. It's about me taking action. Yeah, I love that too so much. That's why one of my favorite lines, I love that whole chunk of the fist up in the big, big book, but one of my favorite lines is the solitary self-appraisal insufficient because that doesn't, that also does not change the longer I'm sober. <laughs> no, I it doesn't. Still, uh, it's still insufficient for me today. I love hearing that it's still the same, no matter if I have four days sober, four years sober, 14 years sober. And I just... Thank you so much. And Mandy had a question next. So my previous experiences with fifth steps, like I see my part and I come away like, well, we were all in the wrong, but they were still wrong. And so mm -hmm. I don't have like, I guess the forgiveness. I mean, and I find my behavior objectionable or like those character defects, but like, I don't find, I don't have the forgiveness. I haven't in the past. When does that normally come for you? You know, you hear some people say, oh, I walked away feeling so great. And like, I've just never felt like this just wonderful feeling walking away from a After fifth step. step? Yeah. No, I don't think it's wonderful when you find out that you've been an ass. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like, oh, all right. So I've been a jerk, you know, a couple of things there though, Mandy, I tell you what. I, my sponsor is always, I love this. Do you value your ego or do you value the relationship with God? Right. Not even the relationship with another human, the relationship that you are seeking personal relationship with the God of your understanding. So that's when it, it, I'm going to take the action, whether I, you know, for, they forgive me or I forget what, it doesn't matter. It's like, I just value, I'm not going to let my ego get in the way. That's a blocking for this growth. That's me being arrogant. 
that I think I need to do that. I can't forget. I just need to take the action no matter what. And I'm, I don't know what the results are, right? And page 67 makes it very explicit that probably these people are going to do more harm to you than you've done to them. But we take the bit in our teeth. Like it, that's in the amends too, right? But literally page 67 says we take the other person completely out of the picture. The other thing I want to say, which I love this when my sponsor said this to me, was you are allowing these people, Lisa, to have so much power over you that you're not free. Your shackles were, no, it's never alcohol. Your shackles was all these people who you allowed to have power over you by not forgiving them. These I people are that. not thinking about me 24-7. I'm thinking about them 24-7. And I'm not free. I'm not free. But it's weird because when I can really just forget, I get free. It's the opposite of what I think in human nature. Does that help? Totally. I love that. Thank you. It's the truth. We have five minutes left. So if no one has a question, okay, as we wrap up, what would be uh, your final thoughts or what would you like to part us with as we go on our day on as far as the fist step goes? That the defects of character that I see every day in myself are not a bad thing. I hate when women go, oh, it's a bad thing. It's a good thing. That's just, those are shaming words. Whenever I make a mistake, it's an opportunity for me to get closer to God. It's an opportunity for me to bear witness and show humility. And I think I've said this before. I will say it again. I am not inspired by women who are perfect. I'm inspired by women who make mistakes. I want it like Mae West. I, I want to hang out with the sinners <laughs> right there next to them. That's where I feel most at home. So in the fifth step, I am starting to see these defects of character. And it turns out that when I'm selfish and when I'm dishonest, that's not a bad thing at all. It's actually a good thing for me to see it because I can get closer to God and seeing my mistakes. And I always thought that mistakes were bad. That I needed to be perfect. And what I'm finding out as a woman in recovery is the more mistakes I make, the better off I am better person I am. How cool is that? It's awesome. Awesome final words too. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being here with us. Everyone have a great day. Thank you guys. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.